and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things. Okay, scroll down and back up one more now. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may be clothed, so you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness, and will not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come to into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word from Revelation. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts. We thank you for the public reading of Scripture. Uh, we ask that you would now, as it is being exposited, as it is being preached, that you would help us to apply it uh, individually by your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, anoint us by your Spirit, uh, that we would hear from you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so just a quick plug, uh, or I guess a, 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 an announcement kind of update thing or whatever. I don't know what it's called. You figure it out. I'll, so I'll tell you. And you can put it in whatever category you want. Um, the next, so we're going to break from Revelation after today. The next three um, Sundays, we're going to hear from some of our missionaries. Uh, they're going to come and share with us what God's doing through, through your support, through their uh, mission, through the mission that we're supporting from them. And then, of course, it'll be Easter Sunday. Um, Easter, we're going to have breakfast here, so please come hungry. Uh, and or, if, if you're looking for a place to volunteer, uh, more to come on that n uh, next week. We'll, we'll fill you in with, with some more of that information. Um, and then when we come back, uh, so starting on Easter, we'll have a special, I think, five-part series. Uh, so invite your friends and family uh, so they can be a part of that as, as we jump into that. And once that's done, we'll get back into Revelation. I say all that to say this. If you would like to read, there are still uh, places that you can sign up for that. And so you have some time to think through or pray through if that was what God is leading you to do. And I will always try to tell you a week in advance so that you will have uh, some idea of, of what it is you're reading. So we would be happy to have you read with us, okay? Let me give you some background now as we're back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, let me give you some background uh, with Laodicea, okay? Laodicea uh, means uh, the old fortress. I don't know if you knew that. Probably not. It was located in the Lycus Valley southwest of Phrygia at the junction of two important imperial trade routes, okay? Uh, Antiochus named the city after his wife, Laodice. The fertile ground of the Lycus Valley provided good grazing for sheep, and so by careful breeding, a soft, glossy black wool had been produced that was much in demand and brought fame to the region. And then that's where that song, you know, Yes Sir, Yes Sir, Three Bags Full was born too, right? Um, so the most striking indication of the city's wealth is that following the devastating earthquake of A.D. 60, now if you remember, we talked about that before with other cities, 
But this devastating earthquake, this city was rebuilt without any financial aid from Rome. So I think, if I'm remembering right, the last city that I had talked about, they had stopped being taxed for five years so they could rebuild. So uh, that was basically, Rome was paying for that, right? Because if, if you're not paying it to Rome, then you're using it to rebuild your city. Laodicea did not use any money from anybody else, and they were able to rebuild all themselves. Tacitus, if you're familiar with that name, I don't know, but Tacitus, a historian, theologian, all kinds of different things back then, philosopher. Um, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us, he writes. Also known for its medical treatment. So Laodicea, as you might know from the text that she just read, uh, has uh, good medical treatments from them. Uh, predominantly, one of them is an eye salve made from Phrygian powder. And so how they made this was they would crush up this powder and then mix it with oil, probably olive oil or some kind of oil like that, and then you would anoint your eyes with it, and that would help. Sounds absolutely horrible to me. Doesn't sound like it would help at all. But then again, you know, what do I know, right? Laodicea's major weakness is that it was uh, lacking an adequate and convenient source of water. Its location had been determined by the road system. Remember I said it was at the junction of those two trade routes. So it was, it was a city out of uh, necessity, not born out of uh, geography, if that makes sense. Uh, it, maybe it's hard for us to realize this, but there was a time when you would have to build a city or have a settlement next to a, a water source of some kind because you, you just had to have that. That's, that's where, why do you think Allegan's here? Because of the water source that was coming through here. So a lot of those come up from those ways. But water had to be brought in from springs through a system of stone pipes. These pipes were approximately three feet in diameter. And then, of course, just like any other pipes that you can think of, they would slowly get smaller and smaller to increase water pressure and to allow it to flow freely, okay? Now, there was mineral baths that were on one side. So you had a couple places on one side. Uh, so you had uh, Colossae on one side and then uh, uh, Hierapolis on the other side. Uh, not, we don't know about Hierapolis because it's not in Scripture, but I know you're familiar with Colossae, the, the church of the Colossians, right? All, all that kind of stuff. So, but you had Colossae that was known for cold water. It would have these fresh, deep earth springs that would come out, and so this water was very cold. Uh, Her Heropolis, on the other hand, uh, ha have any of you ever been to like um, hot springs, seen those things, heard about those things, whether it's like at a national park or like Colorado or anything like that? There's these great big pools of water that would be I'm surely you're familiar with it, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. So the, volcanic heat. Now remember, what's in this situation or, or what's in this area? Volcanic area, right? So with, the, with the, the dirt from that and all this stuff being very fertile soil, that's also probably what might have caused the earthquake uh, that they experienced, the rumblings of that. But also then, Heropolis had these, these pools of, of highly charged water, of highly charged from heat, but also highly charged with all those um, minerals uh, that were in the water, and so people would go there for healing and those kind of stuff. And there's actually there's a there's a cliff face that I've I've read about. I learned this this week too when I was studying for this. There's a cliff face out there uh, in that area that is so caked with this with these mineral deposits as this waterfall is going over there that it looks like it's constantly covered in snow, just a, a constant buildup of sedimentation from all that stuff that's in the water uh, coming over the edge and just building up over time. Right, basically like outdoor stalactites or stalagmites or whichever way they go. So this city was right in, in the middle. So all that makes sense then if you are 
remembering what Michelle read to us in the text, right? Now, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, I am not, uh, I've, I'll read it here too, but it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to have other passages on the screen. So if you have a copy of God's Word and you can follow along with Revelation chapter 3, that's going to be your best bet, okay? So here you have this city, and just like the other cities, Jesus is writing uh, to this city, to the angels of the church of this, to give them information and to tell them uh, where he sees them and what they need to do. And so he does this to fix them, right? Now, I was talking about my arm. My arm needs to be fixed. If rest and relaxation doesn't fix that, I'm going to go where? To the doctor, right? Why? Because physicians are supposed to be able to help us heal. Well, who is the great physician? Jesus. So that's why we're going to him first. We're going to pray first, and then if that doesn't work, then we'll seek man's wisdom. But I want to stick with Jesus first, okay? And so we're going to pray first, and he will uh, heal me. But what Jesus is doing here is he is being the great physician to a church that is in trouble. And so what do physicians do? Well, he's going to diagnose our disease. He's going to diagnose their disease or diagnose their disorder. Either one works. It's fine. You write in whatever you want. But Revelation 3, 15 through 17 says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For I say, I am, or I'm sorry, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blinded, and naked. So Jesus diagnoses our disease. He does this with the Laodiceans. He does this with us too. Uh, I'm convinced that the more we read Scripture, the more we understand not only how big and awesome and powerful and wonderful and mighty and good and loving and kind God is, but we also we understand how wretched and pitiable and poor that we are. And so as a good physician, what he does first then as he evaluates what we are doing. Uh, a doctor might do that to you, right? So, hey, doctor, my arm hurts. Uh, and by the way, I didn't injure myself purposefully to use it as illustration in this sermon, but it just worked out that way. Uh, hey, uh, so what have you been doing? Well, I've been doing this or that or the other thing. Ah, well, maybe stop doing that and maybe your arm will not hurt anymore, right? That's a good place to start. So he first evaluates what we are doing. He says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Have you ever heard of something called mission creep? Mission creep is when an organization uh, or an individual sets out to do something, and then over time, that is shifted. So, for example, right? I, now, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you guys back some. So, if if you are if you have been here for longer than ten years, the mission statement of Allegan Bible Church was is still, but we've we've tweaked it just a little bit, was reach the lost and strengthen the believer. You guys remember that? It was, it was written on the walls up here when I first got here. I hope that it's written on our hearts. But the, the mission of Allegan Bible Church when I first got here is reach the lost, strengthen the believer. That is a good mission. That is the mission that we should have. That is a mission we still have. I tweaked a little bit to, to condense that into love acts because I, I believe, as I hope that you do, that, that love is an action word. It actually takes action and so in doing those, we will also reach the lost and strengthen the believer through that, through lovingly acting not only with one another, but in the community outside, okay? Now, mission creep is like when you start an organization, and so your, your goal is one thing, and then over time, you lose sight of that, and you begin to get into other things. So for example, if we had a statement of faith as an organization, 
And then over time, we had different board members that would come in or different opportunities. And they'd say, yeah, I, I really like most of what you have here, but to get what we want to give you, we really need you to kind of deal with the situation here. And so we, we say, okay, well, we really need those finances to continue to do whatever it is that we want to do. And so this is kind of a small, this is kind of a second tier issue. So we can go ahead and we can kind of mark that differently so that we can move forward in this direction. For example, take a, a glass of Gatorade or something. I can pour some of the Gatorade out and add some water, right? Now it's watered down just a little bit, but it's still mainly there. Well, eventually, if you do that enough, what do you have left in the glass? Well, just water, because <laughs> the Gatorade's all gone. It's been watered down so much that you can't even tell that Gatorade was ever in there. So this is this idea of mission creep. I believe this is what's happening to Laodicea. And so what Jesus is doing is he's evaluating what they're doing. He says, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. And again, this goes to the Laodicean people of what they would understand, because you have cold water on one side and hot water on the other. Now, have you ever taken a shower so long that you run out of hot water in your house? We, I have. I used to do that all the time when I was a teenager. And now, I'm, I'm, now my teenagers are doing that. He says, uh, in, in Revelation 2, 19, Jesus says this. He says, I, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your later works exceed the first. This is Thyatira. What Laodicea is doing is basically the exact opposite. He's saying there's been mission creep. He's saying, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. And so, like I said, in the middle of this, you have the cold springs, you have the hot springs, you have these big tubes. Now, excavation has been done. You remember I told you all this minerals that's in there? Well, minerals that are going through your pipes are just like uh, stuff that's in your arteries. And over time, what it would do is it would clog those pipes up. And so some of those pipes were never working after a while. Also, what you might know, if you've ever worked with a garden hose or anything like that, any of you guys ever burn your mouth on a garden hose in the middle of summertime? I have. That's a bummer, isn't it? But it's the same idea, right? It takes time for that hot yard water to go out of that hose as the cold water from the spigot comes through there, right? But what's happening here is the exact opposite. And so I want to ask you, when Jesus is diagnosing our disease, he's diagnosing our disorder, he's going to evaluate what you're doing too. And I want to ask you, because I know it's the case for me from time to time, there was a time when I was so fervent and so on fire, I was out doing street preaching, going door-to-door -door evangelism, where is it that you have lost some of that fire and some of that zeal? Now, I also want to point something else. I think a lot of times, if you've heard a sermon about this before, I think it's mispreached, not that I'm some kind of genius, but I think it's mispreached in that we say, hey, he wants you either hot or, or cold. And what that means is, and what people will say that that means is, hey, I want you hot for the gospel or completely cold to the gospel. That's not what that means. On a hot summer's day, you don't want hot water. You want cold water because cold water is refreshing on a hot summer's day. On a cold winter's night, you want hot tea. You don't want to be baptized in, on, in February, right? Most people don't. And so there's this idea of comfort in both of those and refreshment in both of those, right? So what he's saying is, I want for you to be refreshing to one another and comforting to one another, and instead what you are is lukewarm. And so Jesus is diagnosing our disease, and the disease is the same for them as it was for us. What's the disease? The disease is our sinful, wicked hearts. And they're lying to themselves about this. 
So I want to ask you, where this morning do you find yourself being lukewarm? Second thing a good doctor does is he exposes who we are. He, he does the tests to find out what the issue is, right? They'll, they'll say, well, we need to go in for an x-ray or for an MRI or for a T, CT scan or, or for some other test. You know, they'll take blood tests. What they need to do is expose what is happening so that they can treat it, right? Revelation 3.17 says, For you say, I'm rich and I've prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Don't let this be true for you. I believe that the Holy Spirit, as the word is preached, uses it as a scalpel. He says it's a two-edged sword, right? Sharper to pierce bone and marrow, spirit and the flesh. And I believe he's doing that with your hearts right now. In fact, I pray that he is. Jesus is about the business of exposing who we are. We cannot hide who we are from Jesus. We might be able to put a shell on on Sunday. You know, we, we, we dress a certain way, we come in and we smile, and um, there's that song, you know, uh, how does it go? Uh, I'm, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, but nothing's really fine. And Gabe, what's that song? Interrupt me later. Tell me when you think of it. You guys familiar with that song? I'm, I'm generalizing it, you, you know, but uh, so we can put on airs, we can fake it, you know. Truth be told, thank you. Truth be told. We say we're one thing when we're really another. And so I'm going to continue preaching this sermon. But I'm going to pause here for just a minute. I, I believe that church is for, is for Christians, for people who believe in Christ, who want to have a relationship with Christ. Now, is it possible that people who don't know Jesus yet come to church? Absolutely and that's absolutely wonderful. And so if that's you, I'm glad you're here today. But here's a challenge that I have for you too. Who are you? And that's a challenge that I have for all of us. Because it's not coming to church that saves us. And so if you have been here since the writing came off the wall, that's great, and I'm glad that you're here. But I still pose the question to you. Are we saying that we're rich and we're prospered and we need nothing when really we're just wretched, pitiable, poor? Because Jesus will expose who we are. And it's better to be exposed now than on the day of final judgment. And so as a good physician, he is diagnosing our disease, which is a disease of the heart. He's evaluating what we're doing and he's exposing who we are. And he's doing this. Not to humiliate us, not to humiliate the Laodiceans, although this is a humiliating letter. It's interesting, right? I mean, this is in our Bibles, which means at some point other churches around the area read this letter that John was writing to the Laodiceans. Um, I I preached a sermon on uh, Joel. Was it Joel? No, it was James. I preached a a sermon on James, and somebody wrote in our our comments one time, "Are, are you in the habit of reading other people's mail, and I thought, I, I guess, if, if you consider the Bible to be other people's mail, like this letter, then, then yes, and Jesus tells me to, so I'm cool with that, right? But he does this not to embarrass us. He does that because he's a good physician, and so he, he does that ultimately, like I said, to, to provide his prescription. When we go to the physician, when I go to the doctor, which I hope I'm not going to have to do, but when, when I do that, I, 
it is my hope that I don't leave with him saying, scratching his head saying, ah, I don't know, good, good luck. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't be good, and I would not be happy to pay that bill. And we all know I'd still have to pay that bill, wouldn't I? But Jesus is not like that. When we come to Jesus and we ask for help and we ask him to search us out and we, we ask for his diagnosis, we never leave with him saying, I don't know, good luck with that. We leave with a prescription. Now, just like our doctors, we can take that prescription or not, right? But Jesus provides his prescription. We see that, uh, again, you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation 3, 18 through 19. That's where he says his prescription. He says, I counsel you, and this is his prescription for us. He says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire. Because, because here's the thing. He's saying that we are deficient in a certain area, right? We are deficient in the areas that we say that we're not deficient in. We say we're prosperous. We say we're clean. We say we're healthy. We say we're good to go. And he says, no, no, no. The diagnosis is in. You need a lot more than you think you do. And so the prescription is this. Buy for me the gold refined by fire, this pure gold, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. This is his prescription. So again, this is his prescription for us. When there's areas in our lives that are exposed, when he evaluates what we're doing and he says, hey, this is unhealthy. Hey, this is sinful. Hey, this is cancerous to your soul. It needs to be dealt with. He then provides the prescription, which is repentance and which is restoration. And here's what he tells us. He tells us, firstly, then, that we need his riches. He tells us that we are poor. He tells us that there is no way we can buy our way into the kingdom. Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Elisa and I were talking uh, the other day. Um, we, we got a check in the mail. We didn't know we were going to get a check in the mail. We had just, we just filed our taxes. And Elisa has this app on her phone where it shows her the mail before she gets it. Um, that's cool. And so she told me, she was like, hey, we're getting a check in the mail today. And I was like, great. Who's it from and why? And she was like, I don't know. We literally just gave our taxes yesterday to the guy who helps us with that. Yesterday. She's like, this is amazing. I was like, it's not. There's no way. There's no way he got them done. And so we got it in the mail. I don't know if anybody else does, but we got a check from Governor Whitmer. Isn't that good? I couldn't believe it. She even gave us a letter telling her it was from her. I don't know if she wants my vote or not. I'm guessing maybe. But the deal is we got this check. It was amazing. And so we were talking, and the reason I bring that up is because we're, we're talking about retirement, right? We're like, okay, well, what should we do with this? We didn't realize we were going to get this as extra money. This is great. And so naturally, I'm like, let's blow it, right? Let's do something fun. And she's like, no. We're going to be wise with our money. And I'm like, guy. But we talk about retirement, right? And so I don't know if you know this too, but they've raised the rate that you can put into retirement accounts and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was in the middle of this, and so I quoted the sermon. I say, see, we don't, what are you talking about? We'll store up treasures somewhere else. We don't need to worry about that. And she very wisely said, I'm a fool. Uh, she didn't really say that. But the point of what I was, she might have thought it. 
the, the point of what I'm saying is, is we need his riches. Because Elise and I can be very good stewards. We can try to be very good stewards of what God has given us. We can try to set aside a nest egg for ourselves and for a blessing of our children. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. There's another scripture in here that talks about a guy whose barns were so full of crops. He said, man, what should I do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build another barn or I'm going to build bigger barns so I can fill all that up. And Jesus said, you fool, this very evening your soul is going to be required of you. And so what Jesus tells us is we need his riches, not our own riches. We can't produce our own spiritual wealth. What we need to do is invest in Christ, invest in the kingdom, invest in an economy that is going to be eternal, not just temporal. Now, at the same time, please don't be a complete idiot with your money. Use it well. Use it wisely. Be a steward. Mark 8, 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so Jesus, as the, good, uh, as the good physician, provides his prescription, which says we need to buy from him riches. He then goes on and he says we need his righteousness. Again, we are deficient in these areas. Uh, a couple of you have been in my office uh, lately, and I've got these vitamins, and they're uh, men's 50-plus vitamins, and a couple of you have made fun of me for that. And my response to you is this. If it's good for men over 50, it's good for men under 50. So there. And so I take these vitamins because I'm deficient in a certain area, or so I believe, right? But I know that I'm deficient in righteousness. Scripture tells me that unless my righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, I will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the righteousness he was talking about then is they, they dotted every I. They crossed every T, right? They were, they were, they were ferreting out uh, dill and, and cumin and, and a tenth of all their stuff and like that. I am not that disciplined. I cannot be that kind of person. I cannot keep the law fully. I'm like Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, these things I keep on doing, who's going to set me free of this, this wretchedness? And like Paul, I exclaim, praise be to God the Father for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? We need his righteousness. Before him, my nakedness, my shame. This has been the case all the way since Adam and Eve. Before sin entered the world, they were naked and they were unashamed. And as soon as their sin was exposed, they realized that they were lacking. And so Paul, speaking of the Jews, he writes in Romans uh, 10, 3 through 4, he, he says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then Paul, speaking of himself in Philippians 3, 9, he says, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, the righteousness that we need from Christ is to cover our unrighteousness. Jesus was stripped of his robes on the cross so that we could be clothed with the robes of his righteousness. That is the whole point of the crucifixion story. That one man would give his life for all those who would believe. Secondly, as the good physician, then he, we need his remedy. Are you familiar with those you know, snake oil salesmen back in the day, that Dr. Pepper's secret tonic or whatever that was just like whiskey and cocaine or some kind of crazy thing? 
It worked, man. That woman was, she was, she was down before, and now she is up, brother, let me tell you. But yeah, that's not good, though. You're just causing another problem. But his remedy is one that has no side effects other than joy, peace, hope, everlasting life. Uh, those, those I'd be willing to take. My, my, my kids and myself, we will joke because very often, by the way, it's, it, it's, not the way, it's not the way it is in other countries. I don't know if you know this, but uh, pharmaceutical companies are not allowed to uh, advertise their products in other countries, but here in America we are. And uh, so we'll see these. I'm just going to make one up. If this is real, then I'm sorry. And if you're on this, I'm sorry. I'm just going to make this up. But Zuleftaloft or whatever, maybe there is really something like that. But it seems like right now they're in the Zs. I don't know. It kind of goes in phases, right? But so Zuleftaloft, take Zuleftaloft, and, you know, it'll cure up your, I don't know, your gangrene toes or whatever, right? That's fine. Take Zuleftaloft. You'll not have to worry about gangrene toes. But, you know, everything else in your life might go to pot. They're, they've got some, they've got like, they've got a, um, who's that? Uh, like, you know, they're, they're doing, when they sell things and you bid on it, what's that guy called? An auctioneer who reads off all the things. He's like, you know, all these things at the bottom. Well, Jesus has the remedy that has no side effects other than, like what I said, joy, peace, hope, eternal life. We need Jesus' remedy. In John 9, there's this great story. I have the scripture up here, but I'm going to just tell you, you go and read it. So it's John 9 from verse 1 all the way down to verse 40, uh, 41, there in, verse, in chapter 9, it's this man who is blind from birth. You know the story? So I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but I would encourage you to go and to read it. So this man's blind from birth. They're like, who sinned? His, his parents or, or him? He's like, no, it's not because of that, it's so that the glory of God can be seen. And do you know what his remedy was? I'm going to read that part to you. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said, now go wash off. I'm paraphrasing that. Now, now go wash off in the pool of Siloam, is what it says, which means scent. That's his remedy. That sounds absolutely disgusting, doesn't it? It does not sound attractive, but do you know what? The man came back seeing. So here's how I'm going to apply that, I hope, to us. Jesus' remedy isn't always easy and isn't always something we like to do, but the fact is that when we take Jesus' remedy, there is success, there is wholeness, there is healing, because he is the great physician. Jesus' remedy is that we humble ourselves and we say, I can't do it. At CR, there's a saying that denial isn't just a river in Egypt, right? When we think that we are strong enough to handle all these things on ourselves, then that's when we're, we're living in that Nile, the denial. And what we need to do is understand that we need Jesus' remedy. If we don't acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are blind. If we don't recognize Jesus as fully God and fully man, then we are blind. If we don't preach and teach and live as if Jesus is fully God and also fully man, then we are blind. But Jesus is about the business of healing. And so that's why, as a good physician, if you guys can jump me to the last point of this section then, we must heed his rebuke. You see, Jesus rebukes, Jesus reproves because he loves. When I read through Scripture and I feel the conviction and I feel like, hey, I'm not, I'm not living up, uh, when, when I think about my life or I sin against my wife or my kids or when I sin against one of you or... 
just just my own life, and I think, man, I I have to get up and 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 preach this. I'm not worthy of that. Why why are these people listening to me? When I feel the sting of the word that is dividing my heart and my soul and exposing my sin before a holy God. It is uncomfortable, but do you know what? He does that because he loves me, and he does that because he loves you. He compares that in Scripture to a father's love. Now, I don't know if your relationship with your father was great or not, and if it wasn't, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to beg you, please don't equate your relationship with your earthly father with your heavenly father because our heavenly father is perfect and is abounding in steadfast love and kindness. It says in Proverbs three eleven through 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You see, when Jesus convicts our hearts at times, either through reading of his word, through times of prayer, through a sermon, through a podcast, wherever we hear the word of God, wherever the word of God is, is brought over us, which is, which is by, by the way, that is the reason for myself the I am a firm believer in expository preaching where I just, I give you God's word and then I try to apply it to our lives because I understand I'm not the physician. I have nothing for you outside of God's word. I'm going to try to help you apply it, but I'm in the boat with you. We Listen, uh, another thing that they say, which I've said before, right? CR is the ER. The church is supposed to be a hospital. We are all broken and in need of the great physician. And so he says, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. He gives it because he loves us. 1 Corinthians, the next one up there is 11.32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. There's a a saying that's not in the Bible, although I, I agree with it. My dad taught it to me. It says, it is better to be judged by 12 than carried by 6, right? That's this idea of in self-defense and all this kind of stuff. We can get into all that later. But the way I want to apply that for us today is it is better to have your con- conscious pricked and your heart judged by the word now than to stand before him at final judgment and then be damned because you didn't listen to that judgment now. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that he addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises the son whom he receives, which is a paraphrase, uh, Paul's doing there, of Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, which we just read. If you are feeling in any way, any kind of conviction before the Father right now, you should praise God. Do you know why? Because what that means is he loves you. And therefore, he says, we must repent and be zealous because that is, that's the whole thing. Matt will attest to this as a, as a physical therapist, and any of you who have ever worked in the medical field will also attest to this. I, I know because I'm guilty of it too. They say, here's a bottle of pills. Take this bottle of pills and everything will be okay. And then what do I do? I take that bottle of pills, I go home and I read it, and I'm like, I'm not taking these pills, and I throw them in the trash. For it to work, you have to take the medicine. If Matt gives me exercises, he says, do these exercises, your arms will get better. And I'm like, no. Whose fault is that? Matt's or mine? It's my fault at that point. So we must heed these rebukes that he's given us. Now last, Jesus comforts those who desire convalescence. 
So if this is you today, and you, and you think, if so far during this message you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm jiving with you, I want that. I want health. I want wholeness. I want righteousness. I want riches. I want, I want that. It's attractive to me. I know Jesus wants it for me. I want to pursue those things. Then I have great news for you this morning. Jesus has a word of comfort for those who desire convalescence. If you want to be well in the Lord, you will be well in the Lord. He will help you and equip you and sustain you in that process. Revelation 3, 20 through 21 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And so the first comfort that he gives us is this, Jesus will always be there if we will have him. He gives us so many illustrations of this. My personal favorite is the one of the prodigal son. Why? Because I recognize the prodigal nature of my own heart. And in that story, the prodigal son goes away and it says in the text that his father was looking for him. Now, I don't know if you take it the same way I do, but the way that I take that, the way I believe that that means is that since that son left, every day, his father was looking for him to return. Because otherwise, how else would he know that that was the day that his son was going to return? It's not like his son sent him a letter ahead of time. Do you remember the story? He was completely and utterly devastated and humiliated. He wanted to be a servant in his dad's house. He was not going to send a note saying that he was coming home. He was coming home with his tail tucked between his legs and his head held down. And the scripture says while he was still a long way off, his dad saw him, which means that he was standing, looking out on the horizon for anything looked at his son. I love that story. Amen. And so Jesus will always be there if we will have him. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens, I will come in. I, I mean, who's excluded here? He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Now here's something else you need to understand. What does it mean to come and eat with someone? It means a lot. It means even more back then than it does today, but let's just think of it today. If you invite somebody over to your house for them to come and eat with you, it means you, you trust them, that you're willing to accept them. Probably most of us, and and. I don't know, maybe this reveals my, my lack of Christ-likeness. I don't, I don't know. But it is not in my nature to just go walking the streets of Kalamazoo looking for a random person to bring into my house to have over for, for a, a meal with my family. That's, I don't do that. You know why? Because I don't know who these people are, and I have a family to protect. When we bring somebody in, it means that we trust them. And back then, think about this. What was one of the biggest things that Jesus, uh, not Jesus, yes, Jesus. What was one of the biggest things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what was the accusation that they kept giving to Jesus? Do you guys remember? He ate with sinners. Who is this? A glutton and a drunkard who eats with tax collectors and sinners. He hangs out with, he hangs out with the riffraff. Who is this guy who's having these riffraff into his house to eat with? And now what Jesus is saying is, it, it is not 
the healthy that need the doctor, it is the sick. And if you are willing to invite him in, brother or sister, then he is there with you. As soon as you go to open the door, he is there. He is ready to come in and sup with you. And upon leaving this plane of existence, he brings you into his father's house that you may sup with him for all of eternity. And I didn't plan this either, but how cool is it that we get to have communion today? And we get to have a physical remembrance experience of what we will future behold when Jesus comes to receive us. So, last thing that the good physician does, not only Jesus always be there if we will have him, but Jesus grants rest and rule when we endure. He has told us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus brings the original creation back in order for all of eternity. He tells us, I'm here and I'm waiting and if you let me in, I'm going to be with you and not only just for now, but for all of eternity. And then after that, I'm, again, I'm, this is John's translation. Hopefully you understand that. And then after that, he says to the one who conquers, I'm going to grant that you would sit here and have the rightful rule that you were always created to. Just as I sit down with my father, I'm going to bring you in and you're going to sit down here too. And other texts in scripture says, do you not know that you will judge angels, that we're going to be over the nations? You were created for so much more. And so a good physician, a good physician is able to restore you to full health. That's what we go for. If I were to go to the doctor with my arm, I would not be satisfied with just less pain. I would not be satisfied with just more mobility. What I want is to get back to my life before this. What I want is to experience this as, as if it was never there, to be whole and new. And Jesus tells us that he will grant to us rest and rule when we endure. So I will close this morning the same way that Jesus does, the same way that John does as he records this, and he says this, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because brother or sister, we are the church, and I hope and I pray that his Spirit is saying this to you right now, that we need the great physician, that he stands at your door to knock, to bring you to a place of health and wellness and wholeness and peace and he invites you in to sup with him and that he might come in and sup with you, not only for just today, but for all of eternity. And while he is a good physician and a good father, yes, there may be discipline along the way, but it's only because he loves you, because he wants more for you. He wants to better you, and he wants to live in you. Let's pray for that. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy, your love, your compassion. We thank you for your pursuit of us and that as a good physician and as a good father, you never leave us to our own devices, but you're always there. God, we pray that you would come in to sup with each of us, that each of us by your Holy Spirit would open the doors of our hearts, that we might have intense, intimate, and everlasting fellowship with you. It is in your name that we do ask for this gracious gift. Amen. So thank you for whoever, was it just good timing? Was it just good timing? Oh, somebody came in. Good. Oh, thank you. All right. So